How are you? Uh, good. Good. How how have you been? Ugh, I've been so busy. I've actually been like super busy like this last couple of weeks. I don't know what's going on. Like, are you like, a are you now a full-fledged successful private equity real estate investor, Dave? We put out like four offers this week. Nice. Congrats. Maybe like uh, 20 million, but it's all contingent. So who knows, right? It's contingent on, on acceptance. You mean, or no, I mean, so how, how it works is like, you basically put out an offer. Yeah. But they're, they're all like, uh, what's it for? Not preliminary, probationary, provisional, no provisional. Right. So, <clears throat> so basically it's contingent on like inspections, like like do much oh, you mean due diligence? It's really more like if you want to like <coughs> think about it in like um, like VC terms. It's really more of a term sheet than anything else. Okay, this is to the investors though, but you mean contingent on the underlying asset and deal kind of going through the actual product you're developing, essentially? No, no, no. This is this is for the asset, like individual assets, right? So oh, you like, put twenty million offer on assets. Okay. 24, 20, we put out offers on 20 million of real estate. That's, that's what it was. That's what it is. Okay. So, so, but this is, okay. So this is just to kind of get, uh, kind of get into signing this term sheet, which means then you can raise after that, I'm assuming. No, no, no. So just think about it as like, we're right. We're still doing like a deal by deal basis right now. Cause it's just yeah. easier for the time being. And I'm going down to Florida in about a few weeks to meet with some people, but Basically, it's just think of like, think of it as like putting an offer on a house, right? So okay. offer on a house, you're contingent on oh, things, right? There's yeah, like, yeah. like I said, there's like building inspection. There's like a bunch of like environmental surveys that need to be done. You need to get it yeah, like correct, books, correct. like the books of the yeah. tenants to see. There's actually a lot of the work uh, is actually underwriting because you need to see like the credit worthiness of the tenants. Yeah, correct. Like whether that they can actually pay <laughs> or if they'll exist. Um, and then also it's similar to like, um, the home purchase where it's like also contingent on like you raising, uh, thing. Yeah. so it's, it's actually a bunch of things, right? So it's like the first step in the process, right? So like offer like an L it's like a letter, letter of interest is really what it is to offer. Um, and sometimes we just like toss out low ball offers to see what people say, cause you want to make on the buy, right? I want to necessarily like have to rely on cap rate compression to make your money, which is like not yeah. a good strategy. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's not going to happen in the next like three or four years easily. So you know, cap rate compression doesn't exist. <laughs> or so I'm, exist. I, I'm assuming you guys have some percentage of some down payment to require the S if it goes through, right? So it's just not like you don't have like 20 million sitting around or do you actually have to go raise that? No. So the offers are 20. So right now banks are lasting for like 30. The English 25 last week, now it's 30, which is kind of oh, crazy. Interesting. Yeah, it's a wild swing. Well, I mean, just, the, you know, it's crazy times. Uh, so yeah, you need 30% need down, right? So that, that's six. Yeah. Or I mean, a little bit faster, you know, whatever. But also, also in this environment, I think leverage for you guys is going to be a lot harder, right? So I guess you have to go, like, how are you guys thinking about financing in this kind of space? So... I mean, it's value add. So value add is mostly an equity play, right? So basically you'd find something that's underutilized or poorly run or like, just like, just doesn't generate the cash it's supposed to. And then you yeah. go in and you stabilize, which is quite 
easy to do. Like industrial vacancy rates are like 3% across the board in the US and like declining. So it's like, it's, it's a, like actually stabilizing the assets is not the hard, it's not super difficult. It's like, like this is like 3% is down from like historical, like I think seven or eight previously. Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of demand, right? And like the amount of yeah. new inventory coming online is like, I think like 40% demand, like annual increase in new demand. So there's just, you know, so that's, that's the easy part. So yeah, but I need like what were typically or traditionally considered like higher risk assets, but in this environment, we don't think they're actually that risky at all. Yeah. Um, and then you, you stabilize, you basically exit, you refi or exit, right? So yeah. interest rates are high, but the equity increase you get from just stabilization is generally speaking much, it, it will, you know, more than out, um, you know, out, 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 out. Okay. Yeah. So I, I understand what you're saying. So I mean, does that affect your financing strategy? That's, I, that's what I meant, I think. But so I understand like, so essentially, uh, I mean, servicing, like, yeah, cause you would, how you go about raising, they're not going to do debt. So no, wait, is it, I don't do debt. You still do that. It's still real estate, right? So the the, the main okay. So when you're saying wow, is still leverage, like it's, that's a very that's a very large um, like uh, arbitrage gap. Like the margin must be very like the value you add must be huge. Yeah, the value the adds are huge. huge then. Yeah, luck out like like, like of all the deals we've been underwriting, like a four or five year IRR is like seventeen percent. For for a somewhat if it, maybe I don't understand the the U.S. market as well, but like you would imagine this being one of the more sophisticated with mature investors. Like, why is there so much margin sitting on a table? Why isn't so in eating this up, or is that just the nature of the fragmented market for real estate? It's super fragmented. It's super fragmented. And let's be honest, industrial has not yeah, been. Yeah. Dude, the spreads are ridiculous. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's a whole. There's a whole new nice narrative too with America needing to. You know, diversify back into hard tech manufacturing, and this, if it's industrial, you're looking at commercial industrial. Yeah, I could I could imagine that being an interesting narrative at least. I don't know how substance it is or what kind of value add your guys are doing, but I'm sure there's some, no, sure I mean, some momentum in the market for this, right? No, but you can see it. Like I said, like just look at the industrial vacancy rates. It was like yeah, it, yeah. it's like half what it was like ten years ago. It used to be seven percent on average across the country. Now it's three. And it's going down. So what, what, okay. what, what is this? Can, can you guys, we work this in the industrial space? <laughs> no, no, no. Fuck that. That's too much. Let's dance. Come on. You got to add a new man. You got to manifest it, man. No, 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 no. This is, this is all, I mean, to the extent that this is truly about velocity of capital, then yes, that's true. Right. Basically you just go and you just buy money. You just buy anything you can get your hands on at a reasonable price. Well, it's, it's, it comes down to your conviction behind this and it is very much like if what you're saying is true and people, well, I don't know. Yeah. If, like you said, it's fragmented and there's some barriers that are harder. Like you need some domain expertise, but like if so, if like you say you do really big in one section of America or one geographic section of America, like people will get wind of it and they'll start replicating fast. Right. So to some extent, you know, going big and going fast after you get proof of concept after one property might be worth thinking of. Kind of thinking in terms of VC, right? You want to just pour oil on the fire at some point, maybe. So, well, yeah, I think well, yeah, that, that's kind of I mean, fun, I guess. It's, that's kind of like when Newman was doing was residential. And to be fair, this does like more structured 
more, not structured, more, I know professionalized operators exist in the more developed states or the, the more yeah. coastal cities. Um, it just so happens that we're in Wisconsin and Wisconsin has for a long time been like off the radar for a lot of people, but there are some like fairly large property groups, uh, that are starting to look at the state seriously. Mm. So there is, there's like a, there's like a window, right? But like, there's a lot of like, yeah, like there's a lot of margin <laughs> at this point. It almost sounds very similar to our mutual friend Dewan's port, his idea of what he wants to do probably at a smaller scale in, 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 in KL, right? I'm guessing. I'm sure this, this kind of, this, do you think this kind of works back in the day? No, Or Southeast Asia? No, the problem with commercial in KL is like the markets doesn't have any control. It doesn't make sense. People yeah. buy purely based off square footage. They don't yeah. look at yield, right? And so like, you're trying to look at anything from like, because like with, with the, the, the story that you tell to like investors in this case is like, hey, Mr. Investor, like, look, Matt, like, you don't know what's going on with markets, like the, the public equities markets and like inflation is going crazy. So you can't like put your money in T-bills, right? So you've got a, yeah. some sort of inflation edged asset to dump your money into for the next couple of years. Yeah. So why just give it to me? And we can, we can do that because like the deals that we've worked on. And that's what we're going to do for it. have shown that you can achieve those kinds of appreciations. Like you can basically flip something like 18 months on a life, like double what you pay more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, the problem with like Asia is like everyone there, they just, the, 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 the buyers still care about you. All they care about is like square footage. It's crazy. Um, like you try to look at any of the buildings or any of the assets on like an NOI basis. It just doesn't make sense. Mm. Like even like two percent out of some of these things, which is like I'm like, mm, why? Right? It's not like yeah. you're in like New York City, Manhattan, super like safe real estate that only goes up. You're like downtown KL and then a kind of shitty part of town. Like, why do you think you deserve two percent? Or like, why do you think? Yeah. Why do you think you like your your cap rate should like three or four percent? They're like, oh, but we do it based on like square footage of like what the comparables are. And I'm like, okay, well, this is not going to go anywhere. That's like that's a good. Yeah. That's a dumb, you can't have that conversation. We've been talking two different languages. It just doesn't work. Yeah, that's a good point. That's what I learned I think... last year when I was there, or just earlier this year when I was there. Like, you just speak a different language. You can't. Yeah. Like, as soon as you bring up like these numbers, like, huh, what? I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, I think, uh, at least for the non, as not as developed markets, I think that must point to the, the, the natural size <laughs> of the market because these are probably all like the the actual owners of the majority of the assets which is very fragmented is in a few percent time you know it's in the hands of a few percentage of the population probably right so maybe it would work better for say like i mean smaller smaller markets but like singapore or hong kong or i don't know australia i'm guessing right yeah i mean i think it's it's uh i don't know those are those are very developed and so i'm assuming that like a lot of the industrial space there has already been consolidated by like Mm -hmm. you know conglomerate somewhere so yeah i think there's a mismatch right it's the market i mean where the countries where it should be big enough they're not developed as enough to 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 have that differentiation but for the markets that are are developed they're too small where it probably doesn't make sense i guess yeah it's also what happened it's also like what happens a lot is also you have like a lot of these people are owner operators yeah. So they operate like, I don't know, whatever, like a carpentry or like a tiling or like, you know, some sort of like machine business. Right. And they also just yeah. own the property, but then like property management and owning and thinking about these questions are not their core. Right. Yeah. So they just don't kind of, they don't care as much. 
because it's just like, okay, this is my place of business. Like I have like a whole other business. That's like my bread and butter. Yeah. So a lot of the time it's like, they just haven't really thought through some of these things. And so that's why you can get such like ridiculous like deals. Like we were looking at a place that was like going for 20 million that was being sold for like 50% below market. Wow. Just because these, it was, they were like, oh, you know, uh, they just didn't think about it. <laughs> right. And it's just about yeah. a million and one reasons, but yeah. 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 I mean, for, for the people you're talking to, like, in say, say KL, it, uh, I mean, the, is it because like, I don't know, what's the profile of the owners? Are, are they just second, third generation owners? They lost touch. They have no hunger. So they just sit on assets or Commercial? they're just not. Yeah. Yeah, because they're not enough. They're, they're not very business oriented. Where say in the states, it's probably more professionalized, or or I don't know. Maybe it could be the same thing in the U.S. where it's it's, it's so fragmented that these are second, third generation owners. This is why you can get such a big discount. But you know, it, it's just a bigger market, so you can find those deals. But whereas here, that just won't happen because they'll just hold on to their assets forever. Probably, I don't know. It's just, it's, but the problem with the Malaysian market is like the asset crop in general, which is like way overinflated. It's just too much supply. Yeah. Right. And then, like, yeah. I mean, the one won't explain this much, right? But it's basically this like, you know, Faustian relationship between like banks and developers where like, well, I'm not, now I'm talking about residential. So maybe, maybe industrial is a bit different, but I don't think yeah. maybe commercial is a bit different, right? I don't, I don't think it is. I think it's probably the same, right? Like, Basically, like the the banks will like underwrite these like ridiculous assets, right? To like profit yeah. the value of their books, and then like there's always like just like all sorts of nonsense that's going on in the back end, right? Um, and like the and the, that's the thing. Like I think in Malaysia specifically, they're just, it's not very well regulated. There's just too much supply coming online. It's not like, and it's too cheap to build, right? Like everyone yeah. and their cousin is a property developer. Uh, whereas in like, whereas like in the U S like, you know, to build something, it's like legitimately expensive. It's like very, yeah, very yeah. expensive. And, and like the amount of like regulatory scrutiny that you have to go through is, is like exponentially more. Right. Yeah. Like in, in KL, it was just like rubber stamp most of the time. It's just like, you know, someone's uncle that works at like LA, like, well, what is it? Like fucking LMHD or something. You can get yeah. whatever approvals you need. Whereas here you actually have to like hire like surveyors you have to like hire architects and engineers yeah i'm not paying up to do that in malaysia i'm being very reductive but you know it's just yeah. it's, it's a lot more right so like yeah i don't know it's interesting so yeah oh that definitely is an interesting space so it sounds exciting hopefully hopefully you're, you're you can get your your tender through and, and then that's your first your first big project i guess well, I think it's just a question of numbers. If you get out enough offers sooner or later, something will come through. Yeah. I think the, yeah. Goal, the goal is to acquire, uh, I don't know, what's, what's benchmark? I think like a million square feet next year in this next 12 okay. months. That's a nice goal. We'll see. It would we'll, be, we'll see what the investor base says as well. Yeah. What, what, what's, what's the average property size of here? We're looking at somewhere like for us it's somewhere between like three to 15 million it's kind of the sweet spot okay okay hello jangan it's jangan here yeah oh you can't see him can you no i'm on my phone it's like i can only see like yeah i can't see shit (laughs) yeah so the the 
the well shall maybe we should just start and begin with the Hello, Barbarians, and welcome to the 17th episode of the LLB Podcast. Uh, today, we have Dave Chang visiting us from Wisconsin. Yes, back. Yes, and then, of course, below me, we have Jangan, the information connector, as usual. Um, is your microphone not working, Jangan? You didn't green room it, did you? Mother. <laughs> <laughs> we had the same problem in the last episode when it was just me and him. <laughs> Dave, did we lose you, Dave? Oh, there you are, Dave. Did you just meet yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, I see how this works. If I click off of the app on my phone, it puts me on mute. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, I, yeah, okay. That's how this works. No, I was saying, like, guess how much two coffees, a breakfast burrito, and an avocado toast costs in Los Angeles these days? Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Let's say, so, a breakfast burrito, an avocado toast, and two coffees. So two coffee for two. Did you have okay. to it by yourself? No, I was I was with some friends. So just, okay. guess how much? <laughs> guess how much this costs? It's a reasonable, uh, reasonable question. Uh, coffee should where is this? At, what kind of place are we talking about? Like a nice restaurant or a regular restaurant? No, it's just like a regular, like off the street type place. Nothing super fancy. Not like a hotel or anything. Okay, so maybe ten. 20. 50 bucks? Yeah, it's $50. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. It was insane. I'm like, what the hell? Dude? This is crazy. Yeah. 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 That's, that's uh, inflation for you, right? So, but I mean, I think yeah. in general, it's kind of been around that. If you're going to like a restaurant, if you're going to more of those like street markets, it's slightly cheaper, right? It'd be like two, three bucks for a coffee, then maybe 10 bucks for each meal. Right. But yeah, I, I factored in it'll be more expensive, like $20 for food or something like this. But yeah, yeah, no, so yeah, expensive, man. It's expensive. Yeah, it's you gotta, we gotta be making those dollars, Dave. You can't be making money uh, anywhere else now. I do make dollars. <laughs> <laughs> it's still expensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dollars. yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> like, that's crazy. Yeah. Where, where, where have you been around the U.S. this time? Uh, I just got back from Los Angeles. I went to LA. Again? I thought you were supposed to swear off LA. It's for work. It's partly for work. Um, <laughs> it's always for work. Uh, it's always for work. I, the, only, the only reason I go is for work, actually. I, I would not go otherwise. Uh, did you, where did you stay this time? Uh, so I stayed in Santa Monica. Oh, stayed in Santa Monica this time. Oh, hello, sir. Welcome. Hey, dude. Hi. I changed the setting to this, and uh, I don't know when I entered. I mean, system automatically adjusts to airports. You're supposed to green light. It's green room. It you go to the green room and you change the settings there. Make sure everything's working. But yes, but there's nothing called there's nothing called green room. Oh fuck! They probably changed it. I, I sent you it's the pictures before. That is that's the test the audio equipment. I mean, test audio to do it. Yeah, yeah. Give, give specific instruction because otherwise I'll be looking for the green room and uh, there's no green room. I need the I need for someone you land in. Like it takes you directly to the creeper. Can't they just build an app? They I think they do have an app now, but uh, oh. I mean there's this thing called Clubhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh coin. Or call it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Have you heard the caller? I think it's only audio, I think, right? I think it's just audio. Well, we don't, we don't have Dave, Dave, Dave on, on video anyway, so... Uh... That's because I need to set up a studio for his home in Wisconsin, his home in Malaysia, his home in Europe, his home in Australia. <laughs> I don't know where else. <laughs> so you can start uh, you can start the podcast as a service. Uh, I mean, just like all, the, all those hiring firms, right? I mean, yeah, all right. in different places and uh, just doing the setup. Yeah, let's just do a setup fee. Yeah. Subscription. Recurring revenue. AR. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, you missed this uh, very interesting conversation we had about Dave's current endeavors in private equity and real estate in the US. But uh, since you're here now, uh, how are you, Jangan? Mm. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah. It's end of the year now. Almost. Really yeah, close. almost end of the year. Almost end of the year. Still, still two months to go, right? Yeah, but um, but but when we're talking to people about certain things. I many are saying, "Hey, can we close whatever we're discussing about in the next two weeks because you we are going on holiday?" So, ah, uh, yes. So I think the usual end of your travel. Yeah, I think this year some people can afford to take like longer holiday because uh, this last two years um we didn't travel as much as as they used to. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. COVID, right? So I think everyone's trying to do a long one this time. So so should we talk about, what do you want to talk about? Anything on your mind, Jangan? Uh, a lot of things on my mind. <laughs> uh, I don't know, 2022, 2023, the Communist Party, uh, the market, the companies, growth slash equity. I don't know, lots of things we can talk about. I mean, it's it, it's been a while that we have more than two people yeah yeah correct i i think i have to grab him next week alone he's supposed to come he said i'm available morning time but he meant in portugal but he never told me his time zone so i assumed he meant our morning so i arranged for this time <laughs> so he's not going to make it for this round um but i think for the next round we'll make sure to get everyone i think uh yeah so but uh yeah well, i don't know i i think it'll be interesting to talk about the ccp elections I, I think you have a specific ear to china with your network and i don't know i don't know if you had any, any different insights and in what's hitting the the new circuit and whatnot i don't know what was your insights for kind of what's happening in china the results of the elections or what's going to happen in the next five years it's funny uh, for the past week Every discussion I had with anyone, this is always the first topic that people brought up. What's really going on in China? What's happening? Um, why these specific seven people, etc., etc. Um, I have a friend who, about a week before the um, be, before the, the election of the Politburo Standing Committee, he guessed almost everyone right. Yeah, actually, I think he guessed everyone right. So I was asking him after last Sunday, I said, I mean, how, how, how did you get it? He said, pure guess. Okay. So <laughs> the story. But, um, but, 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 but of course there was also this, uh, this footage of, uh, the former president Hu Jintao being escorted out of the, out of the conference room, um, uh, on a, on a last day of the, of the party Congress. And I think that generated lots of buzz. Uh, I mean, people are speculating what might have been happening. Um, I, and also, of, of course, a lot of people are saying that, okay, he's making a show because there's this disagreement amongst leadership, which, um, of course, my personal opinion, I think is highly unlikely uh, because um, 
because I mean, you know, these things are highly scripted. I mean, if, if somebody wants to make a public show and he has lots of ways to do it and doesn't have to uh, mm. embarrass people this way. Um, so I really don't think that's the case, but, uh, but I, I mean, I look at the video, uh, a few times, um, it seems quite obvious who was, uh, who was a bit confused and, um, and, and, and rumors have been going that he has Parkinson's and, uh, that oh. have been, I mean, a few public appearances in the last, I think, three years that he made and people see signs of, uh, of Parkinson's. So, 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 so that, that, that could be the reason. Mm. But anyway, so about the economy, so people are worried that, uh, I mean, the previous, um, previous, there were two, uh, Politburo standing committee members <clears throat> who were econ economy focused and the both of them are, are out now that, that was, um, Prime Minister Li Keqiang and, uh, and, and Wang Yang who used to run Guangdong province. So, so, so people are speculating what, 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 what might be happening. Uh, the truth is that nobody really knows, um, what's, what's going inside the thinking, but, uh, but, but the one thing, um, people have been talking about, uh, repeatedly, uh, I mean, what, what the president, she has been talking about repeatedly over the last, um, couple of years is the, is this like once in every hundred year kind of, um, kind of major change in the world. And we need to respond to these challenges. So, so, so I think there's high probability or even possibility that, um, that the others decided that, okay, this is the challenge that we are facing as a nation. And, um, and, and during this time, uh, it's better for, for someone to consolidate power. Um, just like, I mean, if you think about ancient Roman times, I mean, in time of crisis that you, you, you bestow power to, 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 to somebody to become a dictator. I mean, literally dictator, right? Um, yeah. And, but, but the question is that when circumstances change, when, when you emerge out of the crisis, uh, would you be able to return to the, to the consensus that you had in the past that, that, that I think for that, you have lots of, lots of interesting episodes in history that you can make a reference to. Yeah. <clears throat> I think what's an interesting line of thought from that is that so two days ago, Jangan organized a event with Momentum Works with, uh, you know, two, some VCs and our, our friend Blake from the former MD of Lala Move, who did international expansion. And I, there was, to me, there was one visible line of sentiment that kept popping up kind of indirectly was that the way the VCs or the way the founders that you had brought to the event were this, the sentiment in how they were either going to build their company or, and how the investors were investing was along these very geopolitical lines. And so there were these two interesting companies there, right? One was Mark Mew with, um, what's the name of this company? Bioformis. Yeah, Bioformis. And then the other company was the Next Generation AI, right? And Next Billion AI. I'm sorry, Next Billion AI. So uh, those were very interesting founders. And, you know, they're quite significant. You know, I think uh, Bioformis is they raised like close to half a billion. And, you know, they're in 29 countries on the world. But if you look at the structure of their company, like, you know, they're, they're structured like in Singapore, I think, but then one of the founders stays in Singapore, the main business is in us, but they plan on manufacturing out of India. Right. So, and then a lot of, you know, you could see that, you know, also the way, uh, you know, the next billion AI also is structured is very similar. It's really global, but it's kind of fragmented, but you know, in their thoughts of how, you know, they were going to build a company or raise or, you know, how, how Gaurang Capital or how GGV Capital were thinking about, they, they kept propping up that they kept thinking about 
these geopolitical things and of coming with the CCP consolidating and, and the U.S. in turmoil and the world powers, like it's a lot of uncertainty. And to me, that's what kept popping up, at least for me, that I noticed. Uh, and it wasn't like something they're directly addressing. It's just more like a longer topics. They, it kind of pops up and you could see you could see it that it's a big consideration in terms of, you know, either how you al allocate your assets or how you want to manage your risk as a founder. Right. So that, I thought that was very interesting. Um, I know, Dave, do you have any take on what's happening in China? Maybe you're getting a different sentiment from the U.S. to the people you're talking to there now, or I don't know. What do you think? Hey. Am I back? Are you hear me? Yeah, you're back. Yeah, I got you now. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I guess my phone goes to sleep, it also turns off the app. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad service, actually. No, I, I think like your point about um, risk allocation um, and like how you like and the temple allocation is a super interesting one. Did you? So I, I know like a lot of the talk has been about, you know, what actually happened at the 40 Congress and the Wujintal. Correct. Um, incident. But uh, do you guys, I mean, can you guys track what's going on in the equities market in China? Uh, no. Have you? Yeah. So it's going crazy. So the Hong Kong stock index has been down 15% since like the beginning of the week. And the Shanghai index is like down, I think something quite similar. Uh, so basically what's, what's been happening is like a lot of foreign investors have been selling, uh, they're, they're fire selling their, their holdings. Right. So I think like on Monday alone, like, uh, I think it was like 2.5 billion us dollars in foreign, uh, it's not how like foreign companies was sold on the Hong Kong index. I think like the Hong Kong index is back to like where it was in 1997. <laughs> wow. I think, I think, I think that's yeah. right. I think so. Like, I think, you know, I don't know what's happening like inside the CCP, but I do know like how, um, people that manage money are looking at it. essentially, you know, the shop isn't based on fundamentals, right? Like a lot of, a lot of these companies are being sold below like book value. If you look at the valuations or market caps and when they are, it's purely because of, um, you know, the, the signals that have been given off. Right? And I think that's, it's an interesting question because like with Xi Jinping, like what, the way I look at it is if you look at its predecessors, you look at which Tao and John Zemei, right? So these guys were both picked by um, the selfie, right? And they, they were along the lines of uh, economic growth, right? Where I think Xi Jinping, especially over the last couple of years, he, he's made some very clear signals that like, they're no longer really willing to make that trade-off or they're not going to prioritize ideology over growth, which I think is a, um, that's going to be really tricky for him. Right, because the 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 deal that the Chinese the CP always had with, you know, the people of China is like, you know, we're going to bring you prosperity, you have to give up some of your freedom, et cetera, et cetera. And then that's then the implicit deal for the last 30 years or 40 years, all of the long span. Right. Now he's sort of changing that up and saying, look, we're gonna go back to sort of like core socialist values, um, going back to like patriotism, um, because you know, we're competent and all that stuff. Right. So I think that does a couple of things. Like one, I think it says that they feel like they've massed enough wealth or they've gained enough power, prestige, or influence on the economic stage where they, they can start making those trade-offs, uh, which I think is a really interesting point. Um, and two, if you look at like the history of Xi Jinping, like, I mean, you guys both know that his father was purged by Mao Zedong uh, mm -hmm. during the uh, 
the cultural revolution like yeah yeah so i think this is like so i listened to like a really good uh podcast about him like a couple weeks ago it's called the prince essentially in your sort of the narrative that they're laying out it's like this is a person who like had like strong conviction that like a strong you know very centralized command is needed <laughs> for for uh the prosperity of a country so i think i think you know ideologically he's 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 making a lot of signals that i think we're going back the other way you know like we we've we went really far china went really far on the pendulum you know uh in terms of like the economic growth rec- economy versus like ideology you know they were very far on one spectrum but i think him like his power and where he's going to go in the next couple of years is them swinging back the other way. Um, so that's, that's kind of like the way I'm looking at this. And I think, you know, this, uh, divestiture, uh, by foreign capital allocators, it's just the beginning. I really do think we're, we're going into, um, a world where it is going to be bifurcated, not like in the way that like Donald Trump kind of pretended to bifurcate the world, yeah. like a truly like multipolar world with two economic axes, And then I think a lot of people have to pick which ecosystem that they want to play in. So mm. I, I think that a lot of people are, I mean, that's, that's always been kind of true for China, especially with like tech, but I think for, you know, because obviously the Google, Facebook, all those things are banned, but I think it's going to be increasingly more obvious and sort of go beyond just like, you know, software apps and be like hardware. Um, you can see it actually, like, I know I'm rambling a bit, but like, do you also, I guess I'm following like the chip span that Joe Biden just passed out. Yeah. yeah. Well, why don't you yeah. update so, for the audience? I mean, so essentially, I don't, it, it's quite complicated, but basically, basically, they have, the U.S. has basically banned any company that works with a U.S. company from exporting both any sort of technology and IP or know-how to China for the highest end of chips, right? Yeah. So essentially, what that means is they've sort of kneecapped um, the Chinese high-end chip industry. So it doesn't include low-end chips. Low-end chips is still okay, but like the yeah. cutting edge stuff that a lot of it, like what's being used to drive like AI innovation is yeah. being, um, you know, there's this imports or, you know, this what's the word I'm looking for, tariffs or that, just bans, just straight up bans, right? Yeah. And so what that essentially means is like China has to now go and develop their own standards for semiconductors, mm-hmm. right? So before there was like one, like you had like, you know, Intel and TSMC and NVIDIA and all this was like, it was, it was one ecosystem, but now because they have to go and recreate all this because they can't use existing infrastructure anymore, we're going to end up in a world where like even hardware, like semiconductors will have a completely different ecosystem in China, right? And yeah. like, this is, I think just to be involved this. So, um, I think something really interesting from like a founder perspective, like, you know, what where you take money from and then, you know, what you, who you work with and what kind of markets you want to tackle. Yeah. Uh, let me echo a bit what your comment about the, the priest, the podcast by the economist. Yeah. I think it was a very, very accurate, uh, depiction of Xi's ideology and how he has been thinking about work and how his experience shaped the way he, he, he views the communist party, China, as yeah. well as the world. So. So that's actually highly recommended. I mean, there's, there's lots of anecdotal stories about what's happening in modern China, which provide a good picture. But the first two episodes about Xi's um, growing up years and his personal experience, um, I think it's very, very accurate about um, how he sees things. Um, to, yeah. Just a very quick, re- just very quick recap. Um, so, so, so basically, he he grew up privileged. 
uh, as, as a princely, and then his father was purged during the Cultural Revolution. And of course, some people, um, some of the princelings uh, whose, whose parents got purged, I mean, got disillusioned by the Communist Party, and I think many of them moved to the West as soon as they could. Uh, but uh, but for Xi himself, I mean, his his conviction became that uh, I mean, um, all these things happened was because the party was not strong enough during the Cultural Revolution. I mean, if you have a strong core in a party, and chaos will not descend. So so that I think is accurate. Um, another episode, uh, not episode, but but I remember back in twenty twelve when she first came to power, when she was about to come to power. Um, I was in Beijing, um, sort of having lunch with somebody who used to work for the Air Force um, in China. And uh, that person was, uh, I think, had a degree in sort of political history or something. And he was recommending me to, to read a book. He said that book would, would reflect uh, she and his cohort of princelings, uh, how they are thinking about the, the next decades. And uh, I read the book. I said, OK, this book sounds banal. And uh, he talks about all the issues that China is facing now, but uh, but back, back, back then, I mean, everybody's talking about issues, I mean, corruption, sort of um, the property prices, uh, uh, education, et cetera, et cetera. So, 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 so it, was, it was a chaotic period, right? I mean, people were excited. Um, uh, livelihood uh, was improving quite a lot, but there were lots of problems at the same time as well. And, uh, and the guy I met from the Air Force was saying that, um, just look at who wrote this book. And, uh, and and who wrote the preface of this book? And I checked. Oh, was um, was General Liu Yuan, who was the um, who's the son of and who's the son of the the former president Liu Shaoqi, was purged and actually died during the Cultural Revolution. So so when she came to power, uh, Liu Yuan was actually a key ally, and um, and he helped she purge a few senior generals who were obviously very corrupt. Uh, and, and of course, I mean, there, there's always different ways to interpret this, right? I mean, so you see, genuinely, sort of ideologically, um, um, trying to purify the party, or he has his own motives. Always is the two objectives um, intertwined uh, with each other. And which one's scarier? Which narrative is, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's more friendly, and which narrative is, uh, is more hostile towards the masters? Um, I, I think back to Dave's this, uh, this point about uh, character allocators. Um, there are a lot of capital allocators, and um, and I've, I've been reading a few few sort of analyst reports about this. I've been following a few discussions. Um, I do think people form their opinions, but uh, but nobody knows quite for sure. And even if somebody knows what's really going behind Xi's uh, mind, and would he actually go out and talk in public about it? And mm -hmm. would he sort of um, idea, uh, which is amongst many ideas, different capital allocators are are, are, are sort of. Um, exchanging with each other prevail. So, but 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 in the short term, this is the panic, right? We have seen in the stock market uh, last week. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that's an interesting line of thought to explore. Is like you know, like like Dave said, what are the ramifications from from this on an ecosystem, especially for us, like you know, if we're doing tech startups or investing in this space, and I think to a large extent we have start we are starting to see those effects. Um, and like so, at at the event that Jangan held, there was one question that uh, Blake asked for the the VCs, and I don't know if I got a satisfactory answer, but it was along the lines of, 
Chinese capital leaving China looking for alpha, specifically in the Southeast Asia region. And there has been a disconnect of how much liquidity that money is bringing into Southeast Asia relative to the TAM size that, that could actually, you could actually, you know, get a return on that money. And uh, essentially the investor said that there's a disconnect and the, the Chinese allocators will not probably adjust their, their mindset, even though overpricing rounds will make sense, right? So... And so I think it's 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 interesting that you know like I think in some of our earlier episodes we had talked about this that when the CCP was clamping down on education or just you know tech sector in general I think Dave you had the sentiment where this is going to be very detrimental right and to to some extent I don't know how you guys feel now about that stance but it's also very clear that it's also not easy to to leave China to to allocate and and find that alpha outside your your comfort zone right and finding deals outside will be very hard. So it's 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 a very uncertain time and place. And, and not not to say that I think I think the way that deals have been done or the opportunity set to invest in Southeast Asia has been of a specific nature where it's a lot of somewhat copy paste and then you innovate for the localization part. I think there has to be a rethinking of from a first first principles perspective of how to build that value, and I think some of the investors have that line of thought, but it wasn't very directly said. That you know, I think you can create a lot of unicorns, but you have to think of it from a Southeast Asia first perspective. If that's what you're doing, it's not so much bringing in ideas from outside and then trying to, you know, put this jigsaw puzzle together. And I think to tie it back, I think that's our, some of the effects of what we're seeing. You know, people getting squeezed out of certain markets or having to choose sides. And uh, I, I don't know if I, I, I'm also probably rambling a bit, but like, I don't know, that's how I kind of piece different information of what you guys are saying. So I don't know how you guys feel, like, what are the effects? What are the possible consequences? What do you guys think? Did you just say, hmm? I did. <laughs> no, I'm thinking. <laughs> I, I think, I think the, the interesting question here is, you know, without being like really, really reductive about this, but like, you know, to a certain extent, like when a Chinese couple allocates capital, when it makes any kind of capital allocation decision, right? It's not part of it is, is all, it's of course, whether it's like an actual decent investment, but I think there's like a lot that goes on behind that. Like specifically, like, is this, uh, serve like for lack of better words, like political ends, right? I think at this point, it's pretty well known that a lot of Chinese companies uh, are not, or are essentially extensions of the, the Communist Party, right? I, I think like the, the TikTok Douyin example is probably the best example. And so, you know, I don't, I guess my point is like, you know, when a company like Alibaba says um, they're going to invest a bunch of capital into the region, right? Into Lazada or, or whatever it is. And this is maybe what I wish I had Andrew around is like, I, I'm just curious, like how much, how many strings are attached to that, or like how much, you know, like what what comes with that. I think there's going to be a lot of investment from outside of like from China flowing into the region for a bunch of different reasons. One, because I think the Chinese Communist Party thinks of it as strategic. Um, for that, for that reason alone, they're going to probably force a lot of companies to invest or encourage uh, to. Um, because the environment within China is so hard right now, it's probably harder to find returns in China. You have less leeway to to make sort of these gambles. So they're probably like looking just the natural course 
of, of looking for alpha, they'll probably look outside. But I'm just like, yeah, I'm just curious, like, you know, you know, what, what comes with that money and what streets comes along with it. I mean, Jangan, do you, do you have spoken to anyone who's raised from like, uh, like institutional Chinese capital or, you know? Uh, I've spoken with more uh, Chinese GPs trying to raise uh, capital from um, sort of uh, global institutions. Uh, last month, you, you, you know, we had the Super Return Conference uh, in uh, in Singapore. Like lots of Chinese yeah. GPs came, um, and uh, lots of LPs came. So, 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 that, so that was, that was actually a busy week for us as well because we met a lot of them, and uh, we had to tell lots of them that no, we're not raising a fund. <laughs> 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 and uh, but 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 it was interesting with, with, to see all these um, perspectives about uh, about this this, this macro environment and what's happening in China and 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 what is driving um, these different forces, uh, be it uh, capital allocators from China, be it capital from China, be it people from China uh, into this region and beyond. And uh, I think back in September, people were still looking at say, hey. Um, we still have one month to go. Let me just loiter around in Singapore, maybe spend a few weeks in Dubai to meet the Web3 guys and then go to the US to, to, to attend a few conferences, back to Singapore again, uh, just waiting for the for the conference to be over. Um, so so now it is over. Um, but but, but some people have adjusted their expectations, right? I mean, I mean, they are expecting some policy changes um, or policy certainty. After after party congress and uh, and at the event and that Alex came um, which uh, which which we host jointly with zero one VC which is based out of Shanghai um, is um, lots of LPs came as well so 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 I asked everybody what was really happening everybody's is basically saying that hey I really hope China to 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 go back to its growth path and um, and but at the moment uh, what else can we do aside from waiting. And uh, some of them said, okay, we can't wait. Uh, we still need to allocate capital. Let's look at Southeast Asia. Let's look at global SaaS. So, 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 so you have a confluence of different stakeholders. Um, but, um, but, but, but one thing that, that they've mentioned, right? The, the, the sort of the strings with, um, with the party, with the state. Um, the truth is that I'm sure the state has an agenda. Uh, I don't know, probably nobody knows. I mean, how much that has infiltrated into business activities. Um, but, uh, but, but what I do see is that, I mean, many of the founders, um, that, that, that I've spoken to, and uh, with their take, um, just as, as Alex mentioned, when they make business decisions, where to, to sort of, uh, set up your company, where to pick the market and the geopolitics has been a consideration. And for those who didn't think about it extensively, they, they, they encounter challenges into that. I mean, practical challenges like, you no know, uh, money gets blocked if you want to, I mean, pay people in a, in a certain geography or, or, or certain technology that you can't export so that you have to re recreate a similar IP elsewhere. So, 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 so these issues became, um, important considerations of founders, but uh, who to take capital from also became important considerations. So we had some friends from, from Huawei and Alibaba and, uh, and, uh, and of course, I mean, they have been, uh, they have the cloud units, right. Which have been trying to sell on um, cloud services to, to companies. Um, yes. They said, look, I mean, we, we can do a better job in compared to Amazon in terms of pricing, whatever, whatever. But uh, but the real challenge is that many people just are scared, right? I mean, if I mean if a founder running a high growth company, being associated with Huawei, and uh, and uh, and they'll be concerned because they said, okay, eventually if we want to go IPO in the US, and I don't want my data to be in Huawei cloud. I mean, regardless of whether it's clean or not, it's just it's yeah. just too much to explain. Yeah. yeah.
Somber, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think? Does 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 any of this affect how you guys do your day to day business or no? No. Well, I mean, it's for me, but that's because I'm doing something that's kind of not really talk right now. But it's like fade a little macro uh, trends for me. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about it, right? So, like, I'm looking and doing some PE work in the US, um, John Gong. Uh, in, around the industrial space. So right now, business is, is booming, right? I was telling Alex that like vacancy rates are down like 3% nationwide, which is like in a couple of years ago, it was like 7%. And it's going to decline for like the next 10 years. So uh, guys want to make some money, buy some warehouses, we'll scop them. Um, but also then your day job must be, are you allowed to talk about your day job? Because I'm sure some deals, you know, sitting between West and East and being based in Hong Kong affects things, right? Or can you talk about so the, Yeah, I mean, the day job. Okay, yeah, that's, I mean, the day job has been tough for a myriad of reasons. One of the reasons, one of the bigger ones, which is not even actually related to the China business, is that just basically people have stopped buying IP. Right. Like, mm. um, so we usually sell to like the Netflix, the Amazon, um, the apples of the world, but ever since like probably, I don't know, Q2 of this year, like those budgets have dried up. No one's buying anything at the moment. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of unrelated to what we're talking about. Recently China, like China has always been like really tricky when it comes to like IP and the import and export of IP. I'll tell you guys. I never told you the story, but I'll tell you guys the story. Um, so we work with a lot of um, publishing partners. We don't we don't publish our own content in, in China because we can't. We don't have the license yeah. to publish it. Uh, those are given out very very to very select companies, as you can imagine. So mm -hmm. we typically work with the platforms who have the publishing license. So we work with like uh, like a Tencent or like a, like WeChat or Douyin or Billy Billy, right? And all these organizations have their own. Uh, like, uh, what's all I'm looking for? Like, uh, approval boards, uh, basically, what's the word? It's like the propaganda department. They're making sure they're regulatory bodies, right? But I shouldn't say propaganda, they're the regulatory boards to make sure you're complying with their standards. Um, and which is, you know, normal, actually. And so, usually, this conversation is, is quite uh, easy because most of our content is very lifestyle oriented in China, right? It's about like food or sneakers, it's very safe. Right. It's nothing to do with politics. Uh, and generally we don't have any issues. Um, but then like back in, this was, I think maybe last November. So not even this year, but like when people were suddenly, when they were starting to wrap up with the Congress already. Right. But I remember we had like this one piece of content that got pushed back. Uh, uh and usually it's quite easy to go like, okay, we push it back and you fix like, you know, section, second 32 and second 40, and then advisor and then we'll put it back up right and then so but this time it just didn't go that way and then we kept going back and forth and like do your full different iterations and we we're like what's going on and then finally like we we did some back channeling and we, we had like what a, a junior staff on our end talked to a junior staff on their end and we talked about the reason reason's crazy so what happened basically is in that piece of video content there was like a person in the background not even like an extra not like a main character like he's literally just like some guy in the background of a shot this person was, his picture was captured in a San Francisco, San Francisco newspaper article about a follow-go protest like 20 years ago. And but it wasn't taking 
like part of the protest and just like some guy in the background. But what happened was like the AI had matched these two guys together and they're like, oh, it's the same person. And then that's why Tom and I have to it's crazy. It's, it's it's just crazy. So it's it's always been tricky, is what I'm trying to say. It's like nothing's actually yeah. changed for their for my yeah. big job. Yeah. It's always been like you know, if it's it's it, Byzantine, the black box, and sometimes it works and most of the times it works, but then it's like yeah, every once in a while you get some really, really strange things. Um we'll see. Because we were we're all kind of hoping that like after the Congress, uh they'll might they might loosen up on the standards a bit. Mm. But it's only been like a week, so we, we haven't really seen anything. Like the the quiet hope is like the worst is over because they really like our our ideal like the way that we're kind of wishing is that uh they would have ramped up but then like after that period is over then they'll try and wrap back down again but i mean ask, ask me this question like another three months and i'll tell you i think the i, I think the, the content um censorship part is uh it's actually actually a fascinating topic i mean people think that okay it's the communist party as, as, as one single monolith and they decide what's was allowed, was not allowed. Uh, the truth is that, I mean, there's so many new things which keeps coming up. I mean, it's, if, if you look at online lingo of Chinese netizens, it's very creative, right? I mean, when certain things get yeah. banned, they create alternatives, uh, which, which become subtle, and uh, then the, the, the subtle things get banned as well. Then, then it's just like a uh, cat, and mouse. cat and mouse game. Yeah. So, but, 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 but the thing is that if you think about it from, 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 from from the whole sort of a structure point of view, let's say that okay, if you if you see this as as, as corporation, corporation says I feel we need to enforce this policy, and uh, they have I don't know twenty thirty I don't, I don't know whatever million of people who are who are doing that, and uh, but many, many more millions who are actually at receiving it, and um, and, and and it's very hard in the ever changing world to to define a clear boundary what's allowed what is not allowed. So, 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 so when it trickles down, um, the different publications, different censors, I mean, I mean, would, would, would often, re, 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 um, sort of evolve into self-censorship because they don't know what's allowed, what's not allowed. Mm. And, uh, and sometimes to be safe, they take a more strict line and, and we have like thousands of different censors, I mean, doing different things and, uh, and they, they will see this outburst of stories of, Hey, this happened, that happened. And, uh. But 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 how significant are they, and uh, and and how bad are they? So um, and the things that we talk about um, sort of frequently, maybe I don't know, eighty ninety percent of the people in China don't even notice it. So um, so 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 sort of large ramifications of all, all this this um activities, all these undercurrents, uh, I think it's very nuanced. It's it, it, it's hard to to like you no know, draw a, a one black and white conclusion on it. Yeah. One one question I would have for you, Jangan, is because Dave Dave mentioned that mm-hmm. I, I think it's true that at a certain scale for certain sectors or companies, uh, when your company is so big, there are some ties back to the government, right? There's gonna be some overlap, right? But at the same time, for you know, when uh, our friend Blake from Lala Move was describing opening up in US, having to close it down because they talk to the, like, they have some line to regulators where they said, we want to IPO in US, but they said, sure, you can do it, but it might, we don't know how long that would take for get approval. Then they did the same thing in Hong Kong, but then they got the same response. Yeah, you can do it, but you don't know how long it takes. But to me, it sounded like from a founder perspective, the rationale was not like the CCP tells me what to do. It's more along the lines like, 
I need to protect my capital, my, my machine, right? The one that's producing. We're talking, it's a big company. We're talking like last year they did six billion revenue or something like this, right? So for, for Lala Move, right? And so to, to what extent is that true? It's just more where it's a founder just protecting their interests and their, their machine versus it actually being CCP influence. Because the narrative in the media is always, yeah, every big company that makes billions of dollars is going to be you know, dictated by the CCP. But you know, what, where's that fine line? Or what, 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 do you, what is the nuance? Or what, what do you see? Or like, I don't know, what's your take on that? Awesome. Uh, Lalamo is actually a fascinating story, right? I mean, so they do something very simple. Uh, um, I mean, logistics within the city. So, so you connect the fans with, uh, with a small, small enterprises who, who need to ship goods from, from places to places. And uh, <clears throat> the company came out of Hong Kong. Um, uh, I think, I think 2013 or 2014. So, so, yeah. so he decided very initially that he wanted to tackle China and Southeast Asia at the same time. <laughs> so, so that was, um, and, and of course there were lots of challenges along the way, but, uh, but making that decision early on to split the product, right. And you have one product for Southeast Asia, one product for China. That was, I think far-sighted from 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 the view of, of the founder because you, you know that I mean if China grows big, uh, whatever priorities you come from Southeast Asia would, would yeah would well, never be take, uh, taken seriously because you need to protect this much much larger business and uh, and 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 of course after many years I mean just anecdotally so so they are merging the two products because uh, because the Chinese product I mean after all this intensive uh, competition is far superior compared to the international product. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but but then from a founder's point of view, um, I know a few founders, uh, I, I know a few exit founders who have, ex- who have uh, settled in Singapore. Um, they have different ideologies, but uh, but 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 much of the generation who who uh, who grew up in nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties, I mean, they saw they saw they saw that period of China with lots of hope, and uh, and many of them personally are liberal minded. So, but, uh, but of course, I mean, operating under that kind of, uh, sort of political environment, um, you see many of them became very low profile, many of them became very guarded. So, mm-hmm. so, so top funders from China, I mean, I think in the past, you only had Jack Ma who would come out regularly and talk about things and now he doesn't do it anymore. But mm-hmm. all, all the rest, I mean, the funders of Weituan, the funders of ByteDance, the funders of Pinduoduo, the funder of the... Sure. Do you see them making a lot of statements outside? No, they keep very quiet, they keep very low profile. They try to avoid uh, offending someone uh, as much as possible because, because it, it is it is a very sensitive environment. Mm. So 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 I I, I do think that um, that that uh, I mean protecting themselves and the the companies would, would be the would be the uh, of course growing their companies would be the, the paramount objective that they have, but but they operate in a certain political environment which they have to adapt into. So 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 this these people are, I, I mean of course uh, it's like uh, it's sort of, sort of survival bias, right? I mean these people are very resilient. Yeah. So I mean if I have to understand correctly, right? It's it's not like the CCP just brings a person into your company. Is is I mean the way the narrative works is that you know it. It's all ties back to the CCP, but it's more like it's spheres of influence. And at certain things where the the two interests will align, then yeah, CCP will have more power. But so then it's just more of a dance of how to maintain the balance of maintaining your autonomy and keeping what you have and growing that yeah. and not offending one side. And at, at times, you know, like with the cases of IPOs, that's where it's most apparent where the interests will 
probably cross. And then it's more like it has more power over the founders, but it's not really, it's not really what people say. It's not like the CCP uh, tells you how to build your company or does everything and controls everything. Right. I mean, I mean, in the past, in, I mean, 10 years ago, um, 15 years ago, when you say CCP tries to do something, I mean, you almost always have to ask exactly who, right? Exactly which faction mm -hmm. within yeah, CCP. Correct. And of course, now you see the power being, being consolidated more and more. And um, would the CCP become a monolith, um, which we have not seen, at least for the last, for the previous 30 years? Um, yeah. And uh, whether this is really the start of the party, as some media have, have, have that, uh, doubled it. Uh, it would be really fascinating, and um, and one of our investors actually, I mean, told us when he was visiting Singapore in September, he said that, well, I mean, you look at all these challenges, uh, all these macro uncertainties, and all this, I mean, as they said, bifurcation between China and US, uh, it would be a very very challenging environment for any founder, for anyone who have to navigate um cross markets um in the next probably five, ten, even twenty years. But, but it is also fascinating because, um, because if you can resolve some of the challenges associated with that, and because this will be hard challenges, not everyone can do it. And, um, and uh, you have a chance to stand out. But of course, it's yeah. easy, easy to say it done, right? Yeah, yeah. Huge upside for sure. For sure. It's a, yeah. creating a different kind of moat if you can win on both sides somehow. Mm. Okay. Is, uh, Dave, is there anything else top of your mind for last topic before we close out? Uh, anything that you have a burning desire you want to talk about? Uh, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. How about you, Jangan? Anything else? I think, uh, I think one thing, like, uh, so, so, so yeah, so, so, so just put, put, um, put context. So, uh, the day before yesterday, um, on the 26th of October, so, so we hosted the event called Taking Your Company Global Culture Leadership. What's the other keyword? I can't remember, but talk about people and cultural and, and, and leadership issues uh, in doing so. And I thought the, the sharing was pretty good. Lots of personal stories, lots of stories about mistakes that people have made, uh, lots of stories about um, sort of uh, reflections uh, of, of, of how could you actually, I mean, from leaders' point of view, from investors' point of view, have the mental space to deal with the, the multitude of challenges across different markets. I think Alex, you and I, we had that opportunity many years ago with Rocket, but um, but but Rocket was, I would say, a much more simplified version of what some of the founders have to deal have have to deal through because because these founders have a personal attachment to the company and they can run away. Yeah. So, so, so. So one thing I've been reflecting is that okay, I mean, these topics that, that you can talk forever. But, um, but I mean, you have lots of stories, lots of experiences. Um, can we ever formulate that into best practices or it would always be discussions with people and uh, stories built on post stories and, uh, and also a bit of empathy, right? Because, because, because knowing that you are not alone in thinking about all these issues, knowing about some of the issues that others have thought about would actually help you be more at ease with your, with yourself as a founder or as an investor. I don't know, Dave, what do you think? So is that a question? Or it's not more of a statement, but I'm just trying to understand. That's, uh, that's, that's a rhetorical question, yes. <laughs> I mean, I think like deep conversations, these sorts of, like, okay, okay, the buyership or whatever. I think the true value of these sorts of conversations is it helps you understand what your own logical fallacy and 
blind spots are, right? But I don't think there's any practical lessons that can be drawn from these sorts of endeavors, mostly because I think, one, the, the situations are all so idiosyncratic, right? You'll never be able to like replicate the, the, the conditions that someone else is talking mm. about, right? But I do think it is possible, also because like everyone makes the best decisions or like probably thinks that they made the best decisions that they could with the information that they had available at the time, right? So I think the, the only the only value to that is just like you, you understand where your own blind spots are, or like where where you don't necessarily make sense. And the next time you have something like that, or you're something similar, you can like, oh, the last time I did this or something happened, like I didn't think about it this way. Maybe I can like get you know from the, with a different perspective. I will have more information that I can put into my decision making machine. Right, but I think like having like a best practices guide, I don't, I, I don't, I don't. For me, it's not possible. Right, maybe for other yeah. people, they're stuck, they they go see some value, but that's you know, it's my personal opinion. That's it's interesting because in in the event when Blake was describing how he scaled Lala Move, right, and it, it's very different in kind of what we saw in the region where people raised too much money and now they're trying to justify their valuations. He described it in a more bottom-up fashion where he went market by market and gave very little capital until it was proven. And they kind of grew that way to this you know, giant machine that they have now. And it, the questions from the audience are always very looking for very prescriptive type answers. But I think what Dave is saying is very poignant in that I think it's very important when you're operating. And I don't know if enough founders do this, is that you need to have a framework and a thesis that you're executing in. And you need to have that top of mind a lot of the times. And like what Dave says is that if you hold that framework or you know you have your model of how you're executing your business and the what and what you're the value you're creating, uh, when you hear other stories, it's just more data points for you to make those micro adjustments along the way, right? It's 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 like Dave says, you can never recreate those situations. And and the other part of the puzzle then is you also, you know, if say if you don't have that framework or you don't have that that, that kind of thesis of how you're operating, you just spin in circles too. Then if you take all those data points, you keep changing your mind without something to measure against, you know, your own progress, your own milestones, right? So that that's what I would add, I guess. What about I you, Jen? I think what uh, what they mentioned about sort of uh, logical fallacies and blind spots, I, I think that's uh, that's very funny, right? So, so as funders, uh, what 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 we often think about is that the problems we 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 have, right? I mean, the the, the breakthroughs that we try to achieve, and uh, and quite often, I mean, um, in addition to sort of blind spots, you sort of sort of it's very easy to get yourself into a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And sometimes useful to see that okay, um, what others have been thinking about, and sometimes you sort of three. Uh, I mean, what what I really think is interesting is that the 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 the, um, the networking session at the event outside uh, at the event. I mean, we didn't plan enough time for it, but uh, but you see people like three questions. Hey, I'm facing this question. Um, um, um. So 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 so. Have you seen something similar? I mean, how did you deal with it? And quite often, I mean, it's not pre- 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 um, prescriptive because I mean they they will never know your circumstances precisely, right? But uh, mm. but, uh, but 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 certain things could be could be added to your thinking process to to actually uh, to to actually give sometimes even give you a breakthrough saying that huh I haven't thought about things this way I haven't thought about okay yeah. um I could address the problem in, in this manner so 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 in that part it is useful uh, we have been trying to develop um 
um, a subsidiary of Momentum Works called Momentum Academy. So, so we have done that with multiple organizations, and I think the, the feedback's been good. Uh, but recently, we've been doing some reflection about, I mean, we have all these best practices, you have all these like case studies, you have all these successful companies, and how do you make it relatable and re uh, resonating to to the audience who operate in different organizations? And uh, and and uh, I've been working with, uh, with 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 some business school professors. Um, and, and one thing I learned, which is really, really interesting, is that okay, we we look at something which is happening, right? Uh, we look at a, look at somebody who's sharing three experiences. So 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 the three step approach, um, sharing of experiences, facilitation to make you think how this relatable to you, and instant feedback. And so best afterwards, I mean, how do you throw your questions to the person, and how and how do you get answers to? To to those questions, I, I I think this is a is this sort of um workable approach. But at the end of the day, I mean, you, you are in the driving seat, right? You make all your decisions, and and all this adds to your arsenal thing, arsenal of uh, of thoughts or, or or sort of um uh mental power to 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 deal with the situations that you are dealing with. That's interesting, yeah. And I I think to tie this back and maybe to close out is that mm. uh, this is why I think this type of podcasting or, you know, like I think we're talking about the same things when we, we create media like this or create content like this. I think you're trying to productize your academy for Momentum Works in a different way, but essentially it's the same thing, right? And I've, I've been thinking a lot about communication theory and media a lot lately and 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 what what kind of like, you know, how like what's the value we derive from all these kind of theories, putting it all together. And that's why I think it's very important to have these conversations, why it's important to sit down and across different people and different ideas and viewpoints, because ultimately that's what it powers, right? It empowers, and it's it's not something that could be monopolized. It has to take different formats and there's different different forms of communication, you know, one-way, two-way, multi-party, right? Group to single, single group on group, right? So, and I think at the end of the day, like, you know, by, by doing this, this it, this just feeds back into the loop that we talked about, right? So that that's would be my my final thought. Yeah, absolutely. And the practical problem, we need to get the high um high high quality audio into Wisconsin next time. Yes, yes. I I will have to set up a studio, a mobile studio for everyone and for Jangan's place too. <laughs> it's it's not the Wisconsin's fine. It's just I'm too far to the Wi-Fi source. <laughs> but the problem is Dave's house is too huge. That he has to walk across it's his my, two wings of his house. My, to... my, my parents' house. It's my parents' house, not my house. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. I think this was an excellent episode. And uh, it's always a pleasure to have you, Dave. Thank you for joining us from Wisconsin and sharing your insights. Jangan, sure. as usual, good to have you. And uh, we'll see you guys for next time then. Okay. Bye, guys. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.